All right. Would, uh, before we ask any questions, would one of you mind praying for us? Because these are, some of the questions are pretty serious. And uh, we really need the Holy Spirit to be here. I have the microphone. I'll pray. Is it on? Yeah. All right, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we sometimes get the illusion that we have wisdom in ourselves. And we don't, Lord. All of our wisdom is foolishness. But you have promised that the Holy Spirit who filled Solomon and gave wisdom will give it to those who are willing and surrendered now. And we ask, Lord, for that gift, that you will give us answers from on high, that you will flow through even messed up people like us to help messed up people out here in the audience to be able to see your glory. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Amen. All right, first question. How do we stay updated on Alan Parker's well-being? You can answer that one, Andre. (laughs) All right. Um, We have a blog that right now is mostly the adventures of my very entertaining children. But um, that's where we're going to be keeping people updated also on things going on in my husband's health and his recovery. We're hoping that a year from now, if all goes well, he may be finishing treatment. He'll have to be doing 48 weeks of treatment. And yes, we know there are lots of natural remedies that help your liver, but there are none that kill hepatitis C. We've already looked into that, and um, we will be certainly open to things that can be helpful, but he'll have to do these treatments, and it's going to be pretty miserable. So anyway, if you'd like to follow what's happening with my husband's health, you can go to willowbirds.blogspot.com. Willow like a willow tree and birds like two birds sitting on the willow tree. Willowbirds.blogspot.com. Long ago, I chose that title because I felt like, you know, God wants us to be able to sit on our tears and our sorrows and sing. And so I chose the willow tree as a sign, the weeping willow, and... The birds is how we sing on the seat of our trials. So that's where you can find updates on how Dr. Parker is doing. Thank you. Excellent answer. (laughs) Next question. How do you really know that your relationship is from God? I'm going to stop here. This is a youth conference, so we're going to have some relationship questions, okay? How do you really know that your relationship is from God, considering that you have prayed for that relationship from the beginning? Whoever wants to answer. I'll repeat the question. How do you really know that your relationship is from God, considering that you have prayed for that relationship from the beginning? You know by its fruits in your life. I don't mean that you feel so spiritual because feelings go up and down, but by whether it drives you to a deeper connection with God, whether when you have something good happen to you or something bad happen to you, you want to pour it out to God, 
When you realize that there are idolatrous cycles going on between the two of you, what do you do? Do you turn to God or do you turn to this person? Any relationship, even if it's from God, can become a curse. Just like all the kings of Israel that went up and down based on their relationship with God. Your relationship will go up and down. And sometimes something God gives you can become a curse if you allow it to become an idol instead of a blessing. Um, you know, I'm afraid to answer these type of questions. Uh, how do you know your relationship is from God? Are you talking about the marriage relationship? Are you talking about the relationship that you're in prior to you being married? Uh, if you're married already, the question is null and void. Uh, it's null and void. Whether Satan brought you together or God brought you together, the issue is that you've made a covenant now. And the question is, how is God going to solve or make sure that this relationship stays together and tends upward? That's, that's the first thing. If you're married, it's not a question anymore. It's not even, I wonder if this is supposed... No, it's done. Amen. Amen. Now, if you are in a relationship prior to marriage... Now, I, I had experiences, you know, getting, you know, making mistakes. I don't know if you ever made mistakes. And uh, I remember telling God that this is the one. And I'm quite sure God agreed with me in that prayer, that this was the one. But there are fruits in that relationship that either tend upward or they tend downward. They either make you draw closer to him. You and her are Bible study and praying and doing what the Bible says. Or you are violating principles, staying up late, talking on the phone, hugging, kissing, doing all sorts of things you ain't supposed to do till you're married. You follow what I'm saying? You know by the fruits whether or not this is something that is heaven-born, heaven-sent. Well, that's, that's a short answer. That's good. <laughs> okay. I would qualify that with one thing, too. I don't find in the Bible or the spirit of prophecy God saying... You must pray and wait until God magically shows you the one and then quickly marry that person. I don't see that. I see God saying consistently, watch for character. Go slowly. See how this person reflects Jesus in all aspects of their lives. You want to be sure that you are choosing a parent for your children that is going to be stable and committed to God no matter what. So we'll try to make these questions go in logical order. What advice or counsel would you give to someone who believes that it is God's will and has prayed and fasted and read the Bible a lot, but you don't think it's God's will? Uh, another person, like... Yes, so, like, Andre's in a relationship, and he's prayed and fasted and read the Bible, and he's sure it's God's will, but Brother Dwayne does not think it's God's will. What... What... How do, you, how do you approach a person that has prayed and fasted and is very sure that it's God's will? These are pretty interesting questions. Um, we are not allowed to exercise our feelings uh, towards other people. If we believe that it is not God's will for someone to be together, there must be something that we saw in their lives that contradicts God's principles from his word that is motivating us to say we don't think that this is right. 
So everything, like Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4, let man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So it should not be a counselor's position to just simply say, I don't think this person's right for you. Because what you think could be very much wrong. There's a way that a man may think is right, but in the end thereof, it can lead, of course, to death. So we would have to first and foremost base our disagreement or our agreements on the word of God. So if someone says, well, I believe this person is for me, it has to be something beyond the fact that they're pretty or he's handsome. It has to be something beyond, well, I just don't think you guys make a good couple. Either party should be able to base their reason for doing what they're doing or feeling the way they're feeling based on the word of God. Once you're a Christian, you surrender your thought processes to the word of God. So that has to be the guide on why we don't think they should get together or why they do think they should get together. So that's where I would probably start with with them is bring it back to the word. What, what are the reasons for or against? Can I? You know, my wife, what attracted me to my wife was not, uh, well, I can't say that, but I'm... Uh, <laughs> Not only was her external beauty <laughs> I was looking for, but I was looking for the internal character. And I think what attracted me was that everywhere uh, she came in, actually my wife came into an evangelistic meeting that we held. It was the first meetings we had, and I was able to, um, to baptize her. So it was, um, it was a blessing. Um, but to see everything, every, everywhere I went in church, I heard people talking, I heard like, well, Yvette was doing this, and she's doing this, and unselfishly doing this. And um, unselfishness attracts me. When you become a Christian, unselfishness attracts you more than even external beauty. So that I already knew that that was someone I really wanted to marry because that's what I was, I was looking for. Um, There's actually someone who uh, did that to me and came up to me, and she told me, another woman came up to me and told me that she had a dream about me. <laughs> And she, she said in her dream, she was kneeling down and bowing before me and calling me Lord. <laughs> I kind of liked it, but I mean. <laughs> but she said, I said, I, I got upset because said, Lord, it's not the capital L-O-R-D, but like how in the Bible, what, what Sarah called Abraham, Lord, right? The lowercase L-O-R-D. I said, okay. <laughs> But um, I knew that within her character, that was not the one, um, just in seeing her, her trend of her life. And so I'm looking at the character and not so much, not only the external um, looks and beauty. Yeah. Thank you. Next question. Now, now that people are married, we wives are admonished to submit to our husbands. But what if my husband always makes poor decisions that negatively affect our lives? <laughs> Number one, pray. If you are trying to manipulate your husband to do what you think he should do, you may also be disregarding the commands of the Lord and doing things unwisely. You know, this doesn't give enough context. Is this your husband is leaving you financially destitute and wasting thousands of dollars on, you know, scams? Is your husband 
or is he more, you know, wanting to do things that you really don't want to do? It kind of leans toward it sounds like he's doing things that are seriously foolish, and I'm going to take it that way. What if your husband is leading your family in the wrong direction? What if he has a TV blaring in your house Sabbath afternoon and you have young children and you don't know what to do about this? Because some people are facing that kind of situation. How do you handle that? Number one, pray. I can't give you a recipe that says follow step A, B, and C, and D will pop out, God's will for what you should do. I would say rather allow God to guide you, but you want to follow some general principles of Scripture. Be respectful to your husband. Nothing drives a husband away from wanting to follow the will of God like a wife who's trying to drive him toward the will of God. Now, you can call that stubborn and selfish and carnal, and it is, but it's a reality. If you can respect your husband and do, you know, bend over backwards to agree with him and do the things that you can do conscientiously to follow up, you know, regarding whatever he wants to do, do anything you can to go along with him, as long as it doesn't disobey your conscience. And then if he makes foolish decisions, let's say he wastes thousands of dollars doing something that you knew all along was going to be a waste, don't dangle it over his head. Don't smash his face in it, and don't say, next time maybe, you'll listen to me, you know? These are ways to disrespect a husband and to disrespect the order that God has created in marriage. And you will create a monster that's much bigger and much worse than the mistakes your husband's making. And when it comes to disobeying conscience, that's a more difficult thing to say. You know, what do you do when you've got your children there in the house and you can't go anywhere and he won't allow you to have the car keys? Um, You're going to have to pray again and ask God to provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Ask God to show you how you can be a loving, submissive wife in every situation. I'd like to make a recommendation along with that, too. Um, you know, obviously the theme, unless the Lord builds the house. So obviously we're, we're going to assume that this question is being asked by a home that has at least professed to allow the Lord to be the leader of that home. We're going we're gonna to answer it in that context. Um, one thing that is very, very helpful are family meetings. Um, if you are in a home and you see that there's just a trend of bad decisions that are, ma- are, are taking place, then it would be very, very wise that you should start trying to implement family meetings where you can review several things that take place in the household and you can allow the Lord to give direction as it relates to, okay, we find that this has often been happening. How can God help us to overcome it? And uh, if you have a family meeting where, you know, some families, they do it monthly. We try very hard. We don't always succeed, especially with our schedules today. But we try really hard in our household to have those family meetings where we literally allow each of my four children, my wife and myself, to have a say. To say, here's some things we see going on in the home that we like. Here's some things we think need to be changed. And it's amazing how when people share one with another, we're able to pray about it and to carefully consider it and let the word of God guide us as to the solution. So, uh, you know, he who wins souls is wise. So if you know that you got a, a Nabal in your home, then you may have to go ahead and, and exercise that wisdom to say, how, Lord, can I reach my own husband to help them see possibly the errors of his ways or vice versa? And family meetings are a great way to do that where the family is coming before God, seeking guidance to know how to best govern the home. And you decide based on your life schedules how you want to work out those family meetings. But they're very helpful. Also, going to a counselor can be very helpful. Thank you. Next question, switching gears. 
Did God make homosexuals? Did they become that? How do we lovingly approach their situation? I'm going to answer the previous question. I'll save that for you guys. Uh, if you are a wife, I want you to understand that you have a secret power. Listen to me. You have a secret power. You know what that is? It's called kindness. When my wife wants me to do something, I've given her the secret. All she has to do is go like this. That's it. Whatever she wants, she just rubs my head. She, you know, and I know that, okay, the way she's coming at me at this point is a way of love. She's not condemning me. She's not attacking me. She's not attacking my manhood. She's not attacking my position as the priest in the home. She's coming with that sweet honey. I'm telling you, Proverbs 31 says the law of kindness is on her lips. If you want your husband to do something, I'm telling you, if you come, you always do this. And you never go out here. And I'm, he's going to shut you down. He's not going to listen to you. But if you come with kindness, it opens the door. And those words can come in and you can give suggestions that will move him in a different direction. Thank you. I'll repeat the questions now. Did God make homosexuals? Did they become that? How do we lovingly approach this situation? This is an entire seminar and not a 20-second question. But Ten minutes. Yeah. I'll give you... I've studied extensively on homosexuality. I have many homosexual friends, and some of you may not be aware, but there is a ministry right now, actually five ministries that have teamed together within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, made up of ex-homosexuals who are now ministering for the Lord and who have chosen holiness instead of choosing homosexuality. Some of them have married and moved on. Others have not. It's They've chosen to pursue God instead. But briefly, if I can summarize, when science says that the Bible is wrong, we don't have to figure out whether the science is true or not. Um, Science may seem to indicate that there's a gay gene, that people are born gay and things like that. Now, I first would say, even if a person is born homosexual, it's a temptation. It's not a sin to be born homosexual. Some people are born with bad tempers. Does that mean that they have to throw things at their children every time they feel like it? No. Some people are born into families where lust is a problem. Does that mean that they're prone to lust and therefore they just got to throw themselves into the, the pool? Whatever God wants you to do, he will give you the power to do. So even if a person were to be born with a gay gene, they would still be able to pursue holiness and live a life consecrated to God. Many people don't get to get married, even if they're heterosexual. Does that mean that they have a right to go out there and find somebody to have sex with? Is it magical you reach 35 and you haven't been able to get married yet? Well, God doesn't expect you to spend your whole life not being able to. You know what I mean? This is ridiculous. We live in a society that says that you have to have the right to pursue your sexual desires, and that's wrong. But having said that, even if there were that, that gene it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't mean that it's okay to do something that the Bible says is wrong. Science does not indicate 
that there is a gay gene. For all the science that you hear out there, it's twisted. It's not actually, you know, what they've done, you hear the, the twin study, okay? And I'm just going to quote this one. There are lots of studies, and none of them, no matter how much funding the homosexual agenda has poured into them, and there's a lot, still they can't find anything real. The best one they've got is the twin study where they found that people who were homosexual, identical twins were more likely to both be homosexual if they were identical, whereas if they were fraternal twins or they were just brothers, they weren't as likely to both be homosexual or heterosexual. So people said, there you go. If they share DNA, they're more likely to be homosexual. That means that they were born homosexual. No, it doesn't. What it means is that 50% of them were. That means that it definitely couldn't be in their DNA because a lot of them, one was homosexual, one was not. A lot of them. It can't be in their DNA. Now, even if there were something in the DNA, okay. But God has definitely not said, if you're tempted towards something, go ahead and do it. Furthermore, there are lots of studies that show that people can change. They do change. I know lots of people who were homosexual and are not anymore. But you know what? Nobody buys a T-shirt that says, I used to be gay, because you get rotten tomatoes thrown at you from both sides. So nobody wants to go around telling everybody, I used to be gay. There are a lot of people who used to be gay or who struggled with homosexuality for a period of time. The problem is we now live in a culture in which people say, you've got to pursue it, you've got to follow it. And that's simply not true. Most people, I would say, who struggle with homosexuality at some point in their lives move on from it. But they have to exert themselves earnestly in prayer, Bible study, and commitment to God so that they say, no matter what happens, I will pursue God. There you go. Uh, how do we deal with the situation? Loving. Show them love. Sometimes you cannot tell a person you must do this until you've let them know that you love them. Accept them the way that they are and say, I love you the way you are. I have many homosexual friends, every one of them knows, I love you very much the way that you are, and I believe homosexuality is wrong. As difficult as it may be, you've got to portray those two aspects of the character of God to people, and that's the best way to help them. Amen. Switching gears to country living. In regards to country living, how do we balance our duty to witness to others and have community with others with the danger of building large communities that are purely self-serving and isolationist? You know, that, that's, that's not a very difficult one to deal with. Um, tomorrow, when we cover uh, country living, you will find that Enoch, do you believe that Enoch was an example for us? Amen. Yes, he was. We're, Ellen White even says there are even Enochs today. Now, one of the things you'll find about Enoch, and I'll share where the specific quote comes from. It's from Manuscript uh, 42, in, written in 1900. She says that Enoch would go into the cities and minister to the people. But then it says, and this is the specific word she used, she says, and he would always bring them back home with him. And when Enoch brought them back home with him, he allowed them to see Christ in the home. And that left an indelible impression to the point that Sister White says there were many who died faithful to the Lord before the flood came as a result of that wonderful example. So uh, I, I, one of the things I really look forward to when we talk about country living is removing these myths 
about country living, that, you know, it's for hiding purposes and you got to hide. I, I literally was instructed by one group in 2004 that I'm supposed to find the most desolate neighborhood, get P.O. box addresses, and put bushels in the front entrance of my driveway to make it look unoccupied. And, and this was the counsel that they gave to us. And, you can, and when I saw the fear, I knew they were talking foolishness. I said, this is crazy what these guys are talking. But nevertheless, a lot of people really bought into that. And they got a really skewed view of what country living is about. And, and country living is beautiful. It's a blessing that God wanted to give to us if we just understood it right. So therefore, this idea, this idea about seclusion and hiding and no one knows and, and all these things, um, this is not of God. This is not according to God's counsel at all all. The people always knew where to find Jesus. And Jesus lived in the country. So, you know, I I would say that be careful of what you hear and what people tell you and what inspiration says. Stick with what inspiration says and you can't go wrong. It's really nice to not have to go to the grocery store for your vegetables and fruit. Amen. (laughs) Country living. How does country living apply to a single woman? Get a dog. It's a wonderful privilege to be out in the country. And most of the counsel or much of the counsel you see in the spirit of prophecy is about getting out in nature, meditating on the lessons of nature, growing things, being at peace with God and man. These are the things that natural living does for you. Being out there will just take your blood pressure down. It's good for you. If you don't have a husband, so what? So many people feel like they're cheated because they have to be single. Like, I can't do all the things that somebody else wanted me to do. No. Go out there and get a home in the country. Lock your doors if you feel you must, but don't feel like you've got to live in terror. God is with you. You don't have to be in the middle of nowhere to be able to be in the country. Uh, in, In that same vein, you know, as Brother Lemon was saying, there, is a, there are a lot of misnomers about living in the country. Uh, the purpose of going to the country, first and foremost, of course, you want to develop Christian character and commune with God. But when my wife and I moved to the country a year, a year and eight months ago, uh, we didn't go to the country to hide. And when we went to the country, we took other people with us. Did you hear what I said? The purpose of going to the country is to set up Noah's Arks, if you will, safe havens for others that are in the city and bringing them out. So if you're a single woman, I would suggest that you team up with others as a missionary team and move out into the country and set up an outpost center that is with the purpose of evangelism to win souls. You understand the idea? When we have this idea that we're going to the country to hide or self-preservation, we are defeating the purpose of country living. When we go to the country, when I went to the country, literally, I didn't understand the country. So you know what I did? I stayed in my house. <laughs> you know, I didn't know how to plant a garden. Didn't understand. But now, if you come to where I live, I have many things to show you. I, I will take you and walk you through the property. I'll take you to the stream. I'll take you to the backyard. And I'll show you what we did to build a garden in the backyard. I'll tell you the joys of what it is to build a, to build a garden and to have the ABCs of education right in front of my eyes. This is the purpose of country living. So when I go to the city and I bring someone out the city, I say, hey, this is how we live. 
Not this is what we're hiding from. This is how we live, and this is how you grow closer to Christ. So the single woman, I say, get a group. As to those who are struggling to get out the city, I say, get teams together. Buy country land together. And go out there and establish missionary outpost centers to bring others out to learn how to commune with Jesus. Just remember that when you get your teams together, you're not just looking for people who have enough money to pull together. The Bible says, can two walk together lest they be agreed? So let's make sure that in that assessment of those people that you would link up with, that you find that there's a like-mindedness. They don't have to be replicas of you, but you want to make sure that there's a like-mindedness amongst one another so that you don't end up in situations like a lot of people have, where they moved out together, but because they weren't like-minded, somebody said, man, this is too hard. I'm going back to the city. And the next thing you know, they leave out, and now two other people are stuck there, especially if there's debt situations involved. I mean, it can get pretty ugly. So just do that, but, you know, Check your balances. I mean, again, we're going to talk about these things. There's a part in the presentation where we talk about the planning phase when we deal with country living, the planning phase. So by God's grace, we'll go through some of those points so that it could be helpful to know how to practically make this step. Keep up with Tacoa Missions because they're building a biodome. If you don't know what a biodome is, Google it. Thank you for your questions. We'll have another Q&A tomorrow night, so keep on submitting and have a good rest of the evening. <laughs>